Um, I actually was wondering at some point if the rapture had happened yesterday, but then I realized since I still had service on my AT&T phone that it couldn't have happened, because um, I'm pretty sure that there won't be service for AT&T phones there. Um, it'll be Verizon coverage, but I'm pretty sure that AT&T won't, <laughs> won't make it. Um, it was actually probably one of the bigger rapture fails that I've seen in my lifetime. Um, and there have been a few. I've been around long enough to have seen the 88 reasons why Jesus was coming back in 88. Some of you are not old enough to remember that. But then he got it wrong. Kid you not, 89 reasons why he's coming back in 89. The same guy, he missed it by a year. Sold 4 million books. Uh, about 89 reasons why. And of course, I'm over there in Superior, Nebraska praying. I'm pretty sure this isn't right, God, but please not till I get married. And... And he waved. And here's the thing. I don't want to give credence to a guy with uh, tens of millions of dollars, well, actually less millions of dollars now, but formerly tens of millions of dollars, so he blew it all on billboards. Um, a lot of spare time doing math and a connection to the internet. Like, I don't necessarily want to give that guy a lot of credence, but at the same time to say that, you know, even though it's probably like the equivalent of a theological Rebecca Black video, you know, you just, you had to see it. You knew it wasn't going to be good, but you had to try. And, and it sort of went everywhere, even though it's kind of like that. I mean, if you go to her, her and God forgive me for making fun of Rebecca Black. Um, I don't know, maybe she loves Jesus. I don't know. I, just, I shouldn't do that. But, but, you know, you went to Rebecca Black's website, and, and obviously like 80-some million or however many million it is people that have viewed it. But there were like 2 million dislikes, and there was like 150,000 likes. So, so somebody out there clearly resonated with what she had to uh, kind of sing. And so what I would say that this week was that there's probably, for the most part, most of us thought this was a really funny uh, thing and, and sort of uh, comical and, and sort of uh, silly. The, by the same token, there are those A out there that were actually scared to death of it. I was talking to uh, Erica McComb and she said she had a, a lady come into her work last night who was completely wigged out because she thought she had missed the thing and that she was now going to hell. Genuinely serious. And, and, if, and if somebody is in here feels that way this morning, I, I get great news. Uh, you're you're going to be okay. Um, at least for today. Um, but then there's the rest of us that, you know, uh, in talking to Phil Ernest and a couple others this week that it really kind of got you thinking a little bit. I mean, we know the guy's a kook, okay? He, he's probably a nice kook, and, and he probably is nice to his neighbors, and if the ball comes over the fence from the neighbor kid, he actually throws it back and doesn't yell at him. Like, he's, he's probably not like a mean old kook, but at the same time, what he did was really kooky. But at the same time, when it sort of goes viral like that, it's kind of worth a conversation, at least to, to look at, to say, hey, uh, Jesus actually is going to come back. Like, and we can know this because he promised us that he would. He 100% promised it. And Jesus is 100% on, on his promises. He just is. He doesn't lie. 300, over 300, by some people's count, 400 promises in the Old Testament that he fulfilled in his lifetime. Not the least of which is him dying, being buried, and resurrected. All pictures, all promises that were fulfilled for us so that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we're going to be 
okay. But one of those promises he said in, in Matthew 24 was that he would return. That he is, it says just in Acts chapter one, he says, just as you saw him leave, kind of flying off like Superman, my, my condolences to all you Smallville, Smallville fans. The series is over. But in Matthew 24, Jesus said that at that time, verse 30, the Son of Man will appear in the sky. All the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. That's going to happen. And the, the danger of a kooky guy getting, going viral with his kookiness is that we tend to sort of gloss over it and it sort of becomes like the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy and now Jesus. This morning, my, um, my daughter yesterday lost a, a significant tooth. Um, and uh, one of the incisors, right, like back there, one of the important ones. And so, uh, which apparently the going rate for those is higher because they do more work as opposed to the front. Anyway, so, well, this morning we get up and on the table is the tooth. Are there any kids in this room right now? Tooth fairy kids. Okay. And so, what happened was uh, that uh, it magically appeared. And somehow the tooth fairy got in and dropped some money in a bucket. Um, this morning. It was amazing. You'll, you'll never believe it. Um, but so we, uh, wow. Thank you, Shannon, for saving us. Um, <laughs> said, I can't tell any stories now because I'll blow the whole thing. So, um, <laughs> it's, it's he's coming back. Like he really is coming back. <laughs> I don't know if he's going to wear a cape. There may or may not be a horse, but he's coming back. And it could be today. It could have been yesterday. I'm pretty sure it wouldn't have been just because I feel like God couldn't really condone that kind of behavior. And, you know, <laughs> like, I look, you can't know. But... And actually, one of the tests that I, you know, I've heard actually a pastor say this once, but he asked him, do you, know, do you think that Jesus could actually return in the next hour? You know, how many would you raise your hand? In the next hour, I believe that Jesus is coming back. And, you know, of course, hardly anybody would raise their hands, and I believe that he is coming back in the next hour. And, and he said, well, you got to you know, be careful then, because he said in an hour that you think not, <laughs> that he will return. So um, it, it's... What I think that we saw this week, and if you go with me to actually Matthew 24 and put a finger there and then go to Luke 19, we're about to go off the grid. We're about to do some off-roading theology here, okay? Hope you brought your mud pants. Um, Matthew 24 and then Luke 19. Because he was talking, Jesus here, to a group of people who thought that he was coming back uh, immediately, that he was going to set up his kingdom immediately. Because before he had ascended from, into heaven, the, the, the question there wasn't that he was actually going to fly off like Superman and then come back, but it was the, the same uh, objective, which was that he would set up his kingdom now. 
And in Luke 19, it says that he was actually talking to a group of people uh, in verse In verse 11, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Uh, immediately is what the King James says. It was a group of people that thought that, much like Harold Camping thought, not that it was possible, but that it was going to, that they had nailed the time and the date. And things were heating up in Jerusalem because Jesus, in his walk on earth, had set this up in a way that was so perfect and so divine that the, the, the roar would come to a, a head and it would ultimately result in his crucifixion at the exact day and the exact time that was planned, which was on the Passover. Not before or not after, because it says that they had conspired to actually kill him after the Passover. So he, he had this all orchestrated and all combined for that moment, for that deal in the Passover. But there was a group of people that thought he was coming back immediately. And to them, he would tell a story, a parable. And in the parallel passage in Matthew 24, if you're wondering what the parallel passage, what that means, if you're maybe new to the Bible, it's almost like there's a news coverage of an event going on. Okay, you've got your Fox News and your CNN News and your MSNBC News, and they're all reporting on the same event, of course, with no political bent whatsoever. Um, but they would give like the same, like if a plane crash was going down and you got one reporter talking about uh, maybe the black box and the other one's talking about that the pilot was doing this. Or, they're all telling the same story, but they're all focusing on a different detail of it. So that's why sometimes it looks different from one book to the other. And you've got, you know, Luke reporting here, but over in Matthew, we go now back to Matthew in chapter 24 to, to see what he has to say. And he's encapsulating this same exact experience, which is Jesus in Jerusalem. He's uh, setting up his kingdom. They think it's going to happen right now, that he's going to come and open up a can of whoop God, set everything right, and, and go to town right now. But he's saying to them, hold your horses. And, and here's what he would say to a group of people that think that he's coming back immediately. He would tell them some stories. And in Matthew 24, there's there's a few different of, of these parables. And Jesus was so great at that because I'm a word picture guy. And he would tell word pictures and, and tell stories to help them understand it. And he would say to them in, in chapter, uh, you know what, 25, I'm sorry, one, one page over. He would tell them some, some parables. One about uh, this group of, of virgins that were waiting for their groom to come representative of the church. And it talks about that some of them had oil and some of them did not have oil. A picture of a church that we have today where there's some churches that do have the, the, uh, the spirit going on and, and, and it doesn't necessarily look like what we've seen on TV, but churches that are there. And then we've got churches that are dead whose oil have ran dry. And he says, he's giving them a warning, but he says this. And the one that Luke focused on was the one of the parable of the talents, which is a story about a businessman who had left. I think the reason that Luke focused on that was because just a few verses earlier, Luke was captured the story, in fact, the verse right before this one in Luke of Zacchaeus. You remember Zacchaeus? The wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see. Um, no, nothing, okay. Don't make me break out the flannel graphs, because I will. 
a businessman that was actually called a publican. Publicans were jerk munches because what they did was they were like government contractors who were, and you guys that are anti-government, you'll really appreciate this. He was, they would take taxes. You know what it's like when you go to, the, to, to Haiti or Africa or many developing nations and you pay your tax, there's generally speaking a gratuity involved that is not voluntary that you pay to the guy, okay? It's his job. And, and the government looks the other way and he looks the other way. That's what Zacchaeus was, okay? Not somebody that was uh, thought well of. It's somebody that Bill O'Reilly would have gotten on the show and just chewed up and spit out, right? Because he just was stealing from people. And that was the guy, this guy, this publican that, that came to Jesus and, and Jesus said, in this day, salvation has come to your house. And Zacchaeus, in response to that, the way that Jesus knew that salvation had come to his house was that Zacchaeus had said, I'm giving half of my money away to the poor and I'm going to right every wrong that I did. It wasn't that it was works and now he's saved. It was that something happened in his heart and changed him and now he behaved differently. It's why it's so dangerous. Man, those 80s altar calls, I don't know how many of you got saved in an 80s altar call or how many times. But you know, the, the music would go, it was generally a DX7. That was this, the spirit keyboard in this 80s. And it was the, the Rhodes patch. And they would play this thing. And then they'd say, all you got to do, right? Like it's some sort of an infomercial. All you got to do is just say this prayer and you're in and you're done. That's awesome because I don't want to go to hell. What with all the fire and the poking and the demons and the smells. And so I'd rather just say this prayer and get on with my life. Sounds reasonable, right? Except that that's not what Jesus said. He said a man must be born again. He actually talked about fruits of salvation that would happen in our lives. Not, don't, you're saying you're talking about works, Darren. I'm talking about a result of a change that's happened in your life. That when you have truly repented in your heart, that the, the, the Holy Spirit has invaded you, that you were born once, and Jesus said you must be born all over again, and you are going to act differently. And of course, growing up again in the church, that meant no cussing, no smoking, no drinking, no chewing, and no hanging out with girls that do. And understand that there is an element of not loving the world. It's just that the way that we describe the world and what the Lord described the world as Ours was a very cultural definition of the world. Ours was a very, uh, was it the Dirty Dancing movie where they had to shut down all the dancing in this town? Am I remember that 80s movie, right? Kevin Bacon, Footloose. Patrick Swayze, sorry, I got the wrong 80s heartthrob. Um, it was that, that's how a lot of us grew up, right? You can't do any of these things. And so we spent all this time and energy on what we shouldn't be doing. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. And it's like God's up there with like a game of spiritual whack-a-mole. You're just, boom! Like he's at Chuck E. Cheese, right? On a co- or Chuck E. Cheese on a cosmic level, you know what I mean? Like that. Just waiting for you to screw up so he can hit you over the head. And, and that's how we sort of envisioned this walk with Christ about what we don't do. But Jesus was framing this completely differently to Zacchaeus. So keeping in mind that Zacchaeus, the publican, Zacchaeus, the jerk that had been robbing and stealing, that had given his life to the Lord, he's sitting in this crowd of other people who are waiting for Jesus to set up his kingdom with a sword and with violence and with war. And he said to them, I I I got a story to tell you. 
And he said in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. And to the one he gave five talents of money and to another two talents and to another one talent. And talent doesn't mean, you know, uh, you can get on like American Idol. It's like actually was a word that actually denoted a weight involved with that uh, of, of money. This is a business story. A business story being told because there was a businessman that had pre, uh, preceded this story. And he said, then he went on his journey. In verse 16, the man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. And so also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who received one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. In verse 19, and after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. And his master replied, verse 21, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Sidebar, that's a verse that we tend to focus on. If I'm little faithful with this little amount, then God will give me some big you know, job or make me rich and successful because I was faithful with this little. That, that's a principle that, that, I, that is true, but he's talking about eternity, not this side of heaven. When we return, it's how we're going to be rewarded in heaven. God is not uh, a socialist. He's not a communist, not a capitalist either. Bad news. But he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It, we're not going to get there and everybody's going to be given the same thing like Karl Marx has taken over. It's like we, you're going to be rewarded based upon what you did on this side of heaven. So be faithful with the little that you have here. You'll be rewarded with much uh, on the other side. And trust me, let's say we get 89 years to this side of heaven like Harold Camping did, right? And we get those big uh, hearing aids in and, you know, our ears grow down to here. And, and, and uh, as great as it would be to re be rewarded this side of heaven, a million years into eternity, I assure you, that what we had here will be like a snap of time. We spend so much time and energy focusing on my job and my career and our family things. I gotta get a big house so that my kids don't bug me so I can have, find a room by myself somewhere. And, you know, those things that we do in America, and, and it's just for this blink of time and an eternity, he says, if you're faithful with little, this side of heaven, th that I will give you much. In verse 22, is that what we said? The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. And see, I have gained two more. You see a little pattern? They're doubling what God had given them. And his master replied, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. I love that. Not come and share in your master's stuff. So you can have a big, you know, I don't think that the storage business is going to be a big business in heaven because we're not going to be just collecting, you know, stuff. Sharing your master's happiness, which has nothing to do with stuff. And then the man who had received the one talent came and master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And so I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground and see here it is what belongs to you. Could he have gotten it more wrong? I knew you were a hard man. He had totally misread his master, totally misunderstood in this picture, the master, which is God. And his master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I had harvest where I had not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. 
well, then you should have put my money on deposit. I mean, the least you could have done is put it in the bank and gained interest on it so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. And he says, to take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For everyone who has, uh, for everyone who has will be given more, and he who uh, will have an abundance, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I used to get hung up on that verse. I don't know if you do this, but there's some things that I just sort of skip over because they make me uncomfortable. They're not the kind of things that sell a lot of books. They don't sound good in a song, especially not the chorus. And that was one of them. Who doesn't have, who has nothing, even what he has will be taken from him. And understand what he's saying here. He who doesn't have, he's not saying that we didn't start with anything. He's saying that everybody doubled their money except this guy. So it isn't, they didn't have, it's, I, he didn't have the return on the investment. He who does not have a return on the in, investment, a business metaphor that Jesus is saying. How do you invest in that? And so my question would be to you and to me, how do we know what is the father's business? You see, in Luke 19, in that same passage, Jesus, the master, one of the opening statements is to his servants, occupy until I come. And that word occupy meant to not just, you know, sit in the recliner and sit back and eat his Cheetos and drink his Mountain Dew, but to be about his business, the master's business. Jesus, when they couldn't find him as a young child, it's recorded that he told him, well, didn't you know that I'd be about my father's business? It was a metaphor that we could understand because there's an investment that he has planted in you and in I. Every one of us. This, this thing that he's planted in us that Luke 19 records, it's according to our abilities. And so the fairness and the justness of our God is that I, I've wired you to be able to do this and I've wired you to be able to do that. And so my expectation isn't that you can earn 10 talents. My, you know, my expectation is that you can do with what you have, do something with it. But the question is, what is it that he'd ask them to do? What is it that he asks us to do? I used this metaphor a couple of weeks ago, but when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we... It isn't so much that we've just walked from one room full of works into another room full of works. We've actually boarded a ride. That the power of God unto salvation, the cross, we have boarded a ride. And so that there are activities that we do while we're on the ride. They don't get us there any faster. I, I think I used the metaphor if, if Greg and I were on a flight somewhere, or it was Joe, because Joe and I are going to be going to Togo, Africa. It's a long flight. But if Joe and I started in the back of the plane, and I mean we just dead sprinted to the front of the plane as fast as we could, we would still get there at the same time. Because it isn't about the activity that I'm doing on the plane that's going to get me there. It's the power of the plane that's getting me there. The power of God unto salvation is what's getting me to where I'm going. That being said, there are activities that we're called to do on this ride. And maybe the metaphor of a boat is better because it, you can't really board a plane in mid-flight, you know what I'm saying? But, but as the boat is moving along, and sometimes we're in, we're in different boats, but we're all in the same river. And there are moments to invite people onto the boat with us. There are activities that we do with the people that are on the boat with us. That is being about the Father's business, this side of heaven. What I am so grateful for 
is that when I get to see Jesus, and I heard a pastor say this this week, he's had a long time to think about this moment in eternity. What will he say to us on that day? And aren't you glad that it isn't going to be him saying, hey, uh, sit down, Nick. Can you describe for me penal substitutionary atonement and use it in a sentence? Can you describe to me the difference between pre-trib, mid-trib, and after the trib, and somewhere in between the trib, pan-trib, because it all pans out? Can you describe? No, he's, he doesn't say that. I absolutely know, and you can know, what it is we're to be about, because we know that the first words out of his mouth are going to be, it's recorded in Matthew 25. The next parable, after this, it says in verse 31, when the Son of Man, chapter 25, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, and take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was smoking and drinking, and you told me not to. For I... It doesn't say that. He says, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me and I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? Interesting because the God of all the universe who knows how you're wired Men, I know that we don't like to read the instructions, all right? We don't like the owner's manual of something. But when we dig into that and see that if I do this and that and the other with my truck or my VCR, VCR, my DVR, uh, wow. My son the other day saw a VHS tape. He had no idea what it was. It's like, did you know in the old days we actually had a cable on the phone and it went to the wall and you had to stand by the phone? Um, He's not going <laughs> to, I've just train wrecked my own message. He's not going to ask us these big grandiose questions of how well you behaved. He's going to say to you, did you feed me? Did you clothe me? He wired you to serve. The instruction manual for you is to serve and to love. It's why we can be so full of great joy when you've been in these moments. And when we're out of them, how we can be so depressed and so down. There was an article this week on CNN about a guy named James Zwerg, great name, huh? In the 1960s, he was on a bus from Nashville to Alabama, to Selma. And he was a white guy amongst a bunch of African-Americans heading to be a part of the Freedom Riders. It was a last minute thing. He didn't even mean to do it. He ended up on the plane or on this bus because he had gone to the school to be a part of this movement. And at the last minute, he gets on this bus and heads to Selma. His picture is famous because he was the first guy, he volunteered to be the first guy off the bus to walk into a raging crowd of what by some estimates were 3,000 enraged human beings who beat him to a helpless pulp. The picture of him that is so famous is him leaning over and just blood spewing out of his face and blood all over his coats. And he said something really intriguing. And I was caught by this because what it focused on the article was how in later in life he spent so much time depressed 
thoughts of suicide. So down and so sad because this moment was so awesome for him. But I read through the article and I found that I believe the reason why, because at a moment where he could have kept going and kept giving himself, kept picking up his cross on behalf of somebody else and following him, which he said in that moment was beautiful. He said that at the moment when he was losing consciousness, that it was the most beautiful experience of his entire life, that there was a relationship that he was never able to find again, like he had on that bus. Gang, I'm telling you, if we're in our little small groups and, and there is a moment to have relationship together, but let me tell you where relationship is forged. It's in war, in spiritual war. There's a reason why Marines want to be buried next to another Marine. They warred together. This man never found that again, never found the relationship again, because you know what he did? This was this amazing moment. And so he decides, that's great. I'm going to go to seminary and go into the ministry and spent his life depressed. He ended up quitting the ministry in the 80s because of the politics, the stuff that goes on. And I'm telling you, I think the reason it happened wasn't because the, he went to the ministry per se, but it's because he, he had this moment where he was taking up his cross, fighting for the least of these brothers of Jesus, and he stopped it and he decided it was about a book. It was about just an academic exercise. It was about the politics and the ministry and what colors the pew is gonna be and the, the hymn books, and all those things that we get caught up in in church. And it's easy because Jesus said, when I sent them out, he says in Luke, I think it's 11, I sent them out two by two. It says they came back full of great joy because of what they had seen. And it's, an, it's not a, you just mark one off your gun and you go on to the next part of your life. This is our lives to pick up your cross and to follow him. And yeah, there's, there are moments of being tired. There are moments of being scared. There are those of you in here right now that are on that journey. And you can tell me as well as the next guy that this has been kind of a scary time for me but I promise you that you will not get to heaven and look back and regret one second of following Jesus completely flat out after what he called you to do. And on this side of heaven, every time you're serving the least of these brothers of mine, if it's in our own church, in our own small groups, if it's in our own community, if it's in Haiti, if it's in Africa, Indonesia, wherever God is calling you, if you're serving those, the least of these brothers of mine, I've got great news. That is a sign, a fruit of your salvation. He says so much here. That's what he's going to ask. Did you feed me? Did you clothe me? How is it possible that we made it about so much other things? How is it possible that I made it about three fast songs and two slow songs and the sermon and the offering and the dismissal? And how is it possible that we even made it about a Sunday morning? He didn't say any of that. I've looked. We spend 90% of our time on something that he doesn't even want to talk about when we get there. Did you feed me? Did you clothe me? Did you love me? I wasn't scared yesterday at all. Because I'm kind of excited because that's what we're doing here as a church. That's what we're doing. It isn't about works. Keeping in mind, the power of God is the plane. It's the boat. It's the engine. This is just what we get to do while we're on the plane. We get to be triage. We get to be the hospital. We get to help some people. And if you've never done this before, I got to tell you, there's nothing like it the joy that you can feel when you know that you're a part of that. Maybe it's some people could accuse us of doing it just because of that. I say that's because that's how God wired us to be. Why wouldn't we do it? He said, do this. And he knew that because we would do it. I mean, I said this last week, it bears repeating. God says, you know, to serve me, to love me, to serve the Lord. We talk about that. I'm going to serve you the rest of my life. He doesn't have any needs. He's rich. He sneezes stars. 
I mean, you, if you're a waiter and you go to the table, can I get your order? I already got food. Their drinks are already there. And then the plates are cleared. And then the check is paid. What do you do as a waiter? That's your job. It's your gig. Serve me. Serve a guy that doesn't need anything. He says, I, I got a great plan for you. Because I don't need anything and yet I wired you to serve me. When you do it for your brothers and sisters who are in need, it counts. It counts. So when we're loving these little boys and girls in Haiti who can't possibly repay us for what we've done to them, when we serve each other in ways that can't, there's nothing, there's no hook in the jaw to get something out of it. A, there's an enormous amount of joy. And B, it's all that he asks us to do. Get on my ride, jump on the boat, and let's have the best Jesus cruise. No bands, no nothing, we're just a cruise. No, no gambling, no bar, just, just a cruise where we're gonna love and serve each other. And you're gonna have so much fun some of you bands that have been on these cruises are laughing because you know how awful it is. <laughs> to love each other, making stops along the way, inviting people onto the ride, inviting them onto the cruise, knowing that this ship will one day land when Jesus himself returns in the clouds. He said he would do it. I am 100% sure of two things. One, that he will, and two, that he meant it when he said, no man will know the day or the hour. It could be today. It could be now. I appreciate everybody's enthusiasm with this whole, well, we have prophecies, still have to get done. Do you think God can't do that? I mean, like we, in fact, he actually said, it's the wicked and lazy servant that would say that he can't return today. You don't want to be found in that camp. It could be today. And it's beautiful because I think the reason, I used to wonder the reason why did he not say, give us a time. And I know now why, because we do dumb stuff like buy RVs and drive around with billboards and, and, and hand out paraphernalia in a subway. Again, nothing that he asked us to do in Matthew 25. He didn't ask us to do any of that. He said to go into all the earth and to preach the gospel, making disciples of all men. And when you're a disciple, what you do, you have entered the boat. You didn't just say a prayer and now you're magically saved. Click your heels together three times. You have changed. You're different from the inside out. You're on the boat inviting others onto it. And part of that, apparently the thing that he values the most is did you care for the least of these brothers of mine? And I would ask every one of us as we, as we worship a little while longer to really examine your hearts this morning. To examine them to begin with, because look, I got it. One of the scriptures that gives me the most pause, and again, I didn't say it, Jesus did. So that there are gonna be those that'll come to me on that day that'll say, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we, and this whole list of things, again, none of that that appears in Matthew 25, by the way. Didn't we do this X, Y, and Z in your name? And he'll say, depart from me, I never even knew you. That gives me pause, because I think that there are an enormous amount of people in our society, maybe a few in this room, who have thought that you were saved, and, and it's not your fault because somebody told you you were. I mean, if you were to listen to even me, for crying out loud, when I was a youth pastor, because I knew that the pastor wanted some numbers, and if I could get people to raise their hands, that I could go back and tell them that X amount of kids got saved. Don't think for a minute that I didn't. It's just so easy. All you got to do, like I'm selling Ginzu knives. But wait, there's more. <laughs> With Jesus, you could cut this tomato in half. Cut this tin can. 
it is that easy in that he will come in and invade your heart and change you from inside out. But it is, he is not inviting you just to check something off on your card like you're trying to, your voter registration. He's saying, follow me. And it denotes that he was going somewhere. The master didn't say, come into my house, sit down and kick back in my recliner and wait. He said, occupy while I am gone and I will come back and I will reward those who diligently seek me on this side by feeding and clothing. And, and I, look, I know there are other things in it, but I'm just saying that's what he's going to ask first. I don't know what else we're going to talk about, but I know that. And I'm telling you, five years ago, I was like, nope, nope, nope. I would have checked no on all of them. And it gives me pause wondering about my own spiritual well-being. What, what, what on earth was I thinking? How is it possible that I could have spent 35 years of my life thinking that I was doing everything I was supposed to do by coming in the church and sitting on the front row and raising my hand at the right time, and paying my tithe instead of giving it. It's a gift. I'm giving it to the Lord. Like it was a bill. Like I'm checking it off like it's the light bill because I have to. He said that he, would, he had invited us to life and to have it more abundantly. I'm telling you, it's true. It was like I was walking around like with my, have you ever been on a plane and your ears get all plugged and you don't even really realize it until you do that thing where you plug your nose and close your mouth and blow and they pop open and you can hear all of a sudden? I felt like that's what my life was before that as far as my spiritual walk. But I thought I was hearing, but I had no idea how good I could have it. If only I would just submit my heart to the Lord. In, examine your hearts this morning. Invite you on the journey that I've been on, the boat that we're all on to be a part of it. You don't have to come down here. You just have to acknowledge that Jesus died, that he took your sins and my sins, that a righteous God that is angry at our sin, don't get me wrong, but he absorbed it for us. I don't have to pay this debt anymore. I didn't even have the currency to pay it anyway. I don't have to pay it now because he did. And if I believe that in my heart, right, not... I know that in uh, the puppet, you know, skits, you know, the, the little Jesus puppet comes in, but it's, you change because if I believe something, I act differently. That's what Jesus was implying. And I'm asking you this morning to examine your hearts. If you're not acting any differently than you did before, if you're just acting like you've always acted, to examine your hearts. There's no better place than to do that than at the Lord's table, to come and examine your hearts. And maybe a moment of, of repentance is appropriate this morning. Repentance just doesn't mean I'm sorry, Jesus. It means I am changing my mind. I'm, 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 this is the direction I was going. I'm turning around and I'm going the other direction. I am changing my mind about the way that I thought and believed about a certain thing. And I'm asking you with this information, maybe you didn't know this. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this. With this new information, maybe to repent. And say, God, I am so sorry. I have spent so much time and so much energy on this plane, on this ride, doing everything that you've not asked me to do. Repent of that. And to change your mind as I'm going a new direction. And maybe it's a repentance of, I've, I don't even know if I am saved. If Harold Camping by some million to one shot was right, would I be the only one here this morning? Maybe it's time for you to examine that and to just say, I don't even have to say a prayer and you repeat it. I got a newsflash. In the Bible, there isn't a the prayer. It's not there. It's you just crying out to God and saying, I'm so sorry. I repent of my sins. I, I, I recognize what you've done. Whatever the words are that the Lord gives you, I promise you, they'll be right. Because it's the Holy Spirit changing you, not me. It's him that draws you, not me. 
I can do a great sales job and get you to raise your hands. That's not what Jesus has asked you to do. Seems like if he did, he would have done that himself. Simon, on that boat, would you raise your hand if you want to? The entire New Testament, nobody has to raise their hand. He just says, follow me. I invite you to follow him this morning. Follow us as we follow him together. Jesus is the head, is in our community together. We follow him. And it's gonna look a lot like feeding and clothing and helping those that are the least of these brothers. It's gonna be those around the world. It's gonna be those right next to us. It's a great way to ride. It's the best cruise ever. Examine your hearts. Lord, as we uh, come into your presence this morning, I, I invite you to change, to continue to change and to mold me, Lord. Clay in your hands. Sometimes, Lord, I want to jump off of the wheel and, and mold myself until I realize that I just can't. You are the potter, and I ask you, you mold each of us into your, the picture and the image that you have of us. And God, I specifically pray that if there are those in here this morning, maybe they're unsure Give them the assurance this morning. Repent of their sins and know that you will come in and make them new again. And Lord, for those that have been a part of this for a long time, but our hearts maybe are hardened and the water of your word will soften the hardest of clay, the hardest of hearts. And as the word has been given to us this morning, my prayer, God, is that we will be softened. You could come back today. And God, it's my prayer that every single one of us in this room, that if it were to happen right now, we just meet at the North Pole and head to heaven together. All of us, none left behind. It's your desire that none of us should perish. If any does, it's not because it's your will. Love wins, but it demands a choice. And I pray this morning that we all make the choice to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. The communion table is open for those that want to come and examine your hearts and to, to, to agree with what Jesus said about us, that we're forgiven, that his bread, it represents his body broken, that the, the wine represents his, uh, his blood poured out for us. It's a great way to remind ourselves. He said to do it often, to remind yourselves of that. It's open to you. One of the ways that we serve him is obviously through our giving. There'll be, uh, at some point, a bucket go by you. I hope it doesn't distract you from what you're communing with the Lord, but know that if the Lord speaks to you that being a part of clothing and feeding, maybe you can't go to Haiti, but you can help us with your finances to do it. Help us to feed and clothe with that. There's offering envelopes here by the communion table. It's not meant to be a, a sales pitch. It's just the easiest place we could find to put them. Um, I pray that you check out from anything that I'm saying or that's being said, and you check in with the Lord and see what he's got to say to you. Maybe write what he says so that you don't forget it. But as we worship, as we create this atmosphere just with music, take advantage of it. Don't, there's these little tapes that exist on that door that when you walk out, it's gonna erase everything I said this morning. I don't know how it does, it's something the government does, I don't know, but you'll forget. Write it down, don't let the, the enemy steal those words from your heart before you leave today. Just jot it in the back of your Bible. What is God speaking to you as you, as you are sitting here in worship this morning?